Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Mickey Mike's Up. Now, I know I said last week that this week's episode was going to be all about the Olympics, but not enough has happened at the Olympics yet, and a lot happened in the NWSL last week, so we're going to talk about both of those, and next week will be all things Tokyo 2021. If you haven't yet, make sure to go listen to my first and second episodes, and thanks for tuning into the third, and we're just going to get right into it real quick because there's a lot to talk about. We're going to start how I usually do with the NWSL recap. So the NWSL is consistently called one of the most physical leagues, and that definitely has been shown a lot this season with how many cards have been given out because there have been a lot. I think that the Houston Dash so far has like 23 yellow cards or something. Um, And just the way that they get on top of balls and on top of each other, it is definitely very physical and you need a certain level of physicality to play at this league at such a high level. This week, we saw 13 yellow cards and a red card, so clearly there was a lot going on. We're first going to talk about the North Carolina Courage game versus the Houston Dash, which had five yellows. Three were given to the Dash. Um, the cards went to Shea Groom, Gabby Seiler, and Brie Vasali, and the other two were to North Carolina, which went to Merritt Mathias and Denise O'Sullivan. The game ended 2-1 to one with a Houston Dash win. The goals for the Dash came from Shea Groom and Gabby Seiler. This was actually Gabby Seiler's first NWSL goal, and it was a beautiful free kick with her left foot into the upper left corner of the goal from right outside the penalty box. Um, it kind of went right between the defenders that were lined up for, to block the free kick, and you could just tell how excited she was to get that goal, and it was really awesome to watch. The North Carolina Courage goal came from Kristen Hamilton in the first half of the game, and in the second half, they had some opportunity, but nothing that they were able to convert. Something that I've noticed in the last few games of the Houston Dash is the lack of Brie Vasali. It seemed like she played a really big role for them during the 2020 Challenge Cup, but hasn't really seen a lot of time this season. Um, during the Challenge Cup last year, she started four out of the five games they played, and three games during this past fall series. But I feel like I haven't heard her name as much, so I don't know if she is just not playing as well as she did last season or she just hasn't been getting as many minutes. I don't know if they've just found players who better fit her position or if I am kind of just making up how much of a role she played in the Challenge Cup. But I definitely remember hearing her name a ton last season, so the fact that I haven't heard it as much this season pegs the question of what is going on. Next, we have the Washington Spirit versus Gotham, and Gotham was able to win. The game ended 3-2, so it was very close and very back and forth. In the seventh minute of play, Sam Staub got a red card for taking down Midge Purse right at the edge of the penalty box. Um, the, so the Spirit ended up playing the rest of the game with 10 players. It is what it is. It happened. The red card was taken back after it was sent to be appealed because it was definitely not a red. Everyone looked kind of confused. Um, I think the ref was confused because the red was originally looked like it was given to Paige Nielsen, but then it was given to Sam, and the call was very soft. Like, yeah, maybe you could have given it a yellow, but a red was definitely extreme for this situation. So, obviously, if that's how the game kicked off, it remained very eventful. Trinity Rodman scored in the 12th minute, I think, so, you know... So a few minutes after, Sam left the field, and it was a beautiful goal um, and a really great assist from Andy Sullivan, which I just, every time I talk about Andy, I just have to say justice for Andy because she deserves to be on the national team, you know, consistently. So justice for her. 
Um, Trinity Rodman coming into this season was someone who I was very nervous about. Hearing that she was skipping college worried me and kind of gave me Mal Pugh vibes because they're both young, they both want to get onto the national team, and I just feel like skipping college can be really detrimental to your career. Um, we've seen Mal Pugh kind of fall off for a little bit. She's getting back in form and I'm really happy for her, but for a while it seemed like she didn't have as high of a soccer IQ as she could have if she had gone to college. Um, but Trinity Rodman has been absolutely incredible, and honestly, if she doesn't get Rookie of the Year, like, I don't know who else will, because that title definitely belongs to her. She scores almost every game, and I really hope to see her in the national team mix very soon, because we need more youth there, and she will get something done. Like, no matter what it is, you feed her a ball, she will make something come from it. And so I'm really excited to see what she keeps doing with the spirit and what she does with the rest of her career. Before the end of the first half, Naho Kawasumi and McCall Zerboni both got goals. So going into halftime, Gotham was up 2-1 to one, and they held that lead pretty comfortably um, until the 56th minute when Ashley Hatch was able to score. And she's been doing really well this season too. This goal tied her with Sydney LaRue and Lynn Williams for golden boot contention and they both have five goals for the season which is great for them. Ashley Hatch scored a brace in her last game and so she was obviously looking for more this game but the one goal did even out the scoreline until Midge Purse scored in the 76th minute because of course Midge Purse had to score. Midge Purse is a badass and I absolutely love her. Midge scored off of an assist from Ifyana Manu who Whenever they play together, they always find some way to link up, and they pair so beautifully together, and I really want to keep seeing them link up because good always comes out of it. Earlier in the game, when McCall scored, Caprice Didasco assisted that goal, and she has been playing incredible this season. I don't even know if I said that right, but she's been amazing. Um... She's coming back from tearing her ACL for, like, the third time, so obviously you worry about what that does to a player, but... It's clearly not affecting her all that much because she scored her first goal, assisted a goal, is consistently, you know, taking amazing corners, and I'm really excited to see how she keeps Gotham's back line solid. Allie Long and Midge Purse both received yellows for Gotham. Um, I think this is Allie's second yellow in the last two games, so I don't know if she's playing rough or if the refs are the issue. Pretty sure it's the latter because roughing is very poor in this league. Another thing for Gotham is that Mandy Freeman, one of their defenders, has been out for the last few weeks after getting injured in a game. I honestly can't recall what game it is right now, but she got taken down and she was helped off the field. And on the injury report, it said her left knee, I think, and yesterday she had surgery and posted that she tore her meniscus, so we are all wishing her a very quick and speedy recovery. Quick and speedy mean the same thing, but we are wishing her a safe and qu speedy recovery, and I really can't wait to see her back on the field because she has been great for Gotham, and the next game that we're going to talk about is the Chicago Red Star versus the Rain game. Chicago ended up winning this one, and they actually scored a goal of their own for once, guys. But there were a lot of own goals that kept coming. You know, own goal basically got a hat trick. 
everyone was making jokes online that if own goal was a player, they would be in contention for the golden boot. They would have as many goals as Sidney LaRue and Ashley Hatch do. And so it has been pretty funny to see that kind of stuff happen. But the rain actually really dominated this game. So seeing that they ended up losing was kind of a shock. Um, they had better pa- pass accuracy, double the shots on goal and shots in general. And they had like 60% possession. So they clearly had the ball a lot more. They just weren't able to do much with it, which is probably good on Chicago's back line. Bethany Balser scored the one goal for the rain in the 12th minute. And I'm really, really excited for her because she's been on the bench for pretty much the first half of the season and not getting a ton of playing time. And so the fact that she scored all the games for the rain in the last two games, two in the last one and one in this game against Chicago, is probably really great for her. Um, Chicago won because of two own goals. Um, One was from Celia and one was from Alana Cook. And then Mallory Pugh also scored in the 64th minute off of Akilia Watt Pass. This was the first goal in five that was scored by an actual Chicago Red Stars player and was not an own goal. The goal for Matt was beautiful and it was really like, it was going in. It left her foot, it was for sure going in. Um, Two yellows were seen in this game for the rain, one for Celia and one for Ziara King. And King has also been getting more time lately, which I'm really excited about because she is really good and has a lot of great potential. And so I'm excited to see how she is integrated more into playing now and especially when Laura Harvey comes and joins them after the Olympics. The last game that we're going to talk about is the Thorns vs. Orlando Pride game, which the Thorns won 2-1. This was a pretty evenly matched game and although Portland was able to exploit the Pride's defense a bit more, getting 20 shots off compared to Orlando's 5, passes, possession, and yellow cards were all even. Each team received two yellows in the second half. Um, I don't remember who they were for, but they each got two. So that was a thing that happened. Um, Portland was awarded a penalty kick in the 39th minute. And Rocky Rodriguez stepped up to take it, but she was not able to convert it. Ashlyn Harris saved it. And that actually won goal of the week, which I think is a load of crap, if I'm being honest, because there were a lot better saves earlier in the week. That should have counted, especially Didi Herachich's goal save. So justice for Didi, guys. All of my friends on Twitter, and now you guys, know that I am the self-proclaimed number one Sophia Smith fan. And of course, the one Thorns game that I don't watch because I'm tired, she scores. And so she scored in the 26th minute. It was a beautiful goal right outside the box. So this marked her third goal this season with the Thorns, which was really exciting. Um, after her goal, it kind of, you know, was pretty back and forth with not a lot going on until the second half. And this was the game of the Marissas, apparently, because Marissa Everett scored for the Thorns and Marissa Vigiano scored for the Pride a minute into the stoppage time. Besides that, nothing crazy happened in that game and Portland now stands at the top of the leaderboard. Um, Underneath them is Chicago and North Carolina tie with 17 points and Gotham is in fourth with 16 Obviously, there's a lot of time before the playoffs, so a lot can change until then, but this is their current standings. Now, in a lot of other leagues, there seems to be this thing called a transfer window, but that does not really seem to exist in the NWSL because Kansas City, North Carolina made a trade. It was announced the day before they played against each other. So Kansas City, North Carolina played last night, which was Friday, 
and the trade was announced Thursday. Kansas City traded their captain, Amy Rodriguez, and $60,000 in allocation money to North Carolina. In return, North Carolina gave them midfielder Haley Mace, goalkeeper Kaylin Rowland, and Kristen Hamilton, who was a forward. Um, Hamilton has played for the Courage since she was drafted in 2014. Although at that point they were the Western New York Flash and not the Courage, she has spent her career with the same exact team of people. Although This trade kind of seems to have had a quick turnaround with very little time for the players to get acquainted with their new teams. But Kristen Hamilton played for Kansas City and... Amy Rodriguez played for the North Carolina Courage last night, so they both started against their former teams, which obviously was probably a big toll on them, Um, but they're professionals, so they're going to play and do their job just like anybody else would, but something that this has brought to light is how little control the players have over their careers. Obviously, this happens in any sport where people get traded, you know, things happen, you're not working with the team or the defense or the coach or, like, whatever. Trades happen. But I feel like in the NWSL, you hear about it so often how, like, players have such little say in where they go. And you can't be like, I don't want to go anywhere. You know, I want to stay here forever because maybe you can't stay at a team forever. But they do definitely deserve a little bit more control because I'm pretty sure that, you know, Kristen Hamilton was planning to stay in North Carolina with her girlfriend, Abby Urseg, who is the captain of The Courage, for a long time. Like, I'm pretty sure that they just got, like, a house or something together. So, obviously, she doesn't want to uproot her entire life, but now she has to. Um, These things happen, but something needs to be negotiated into the player's CBA agreement, which is currently being talked about. In the CBA, they're, you know, negotiating for better pay, better safety, better refs, that kind of stuff. But I also think that they need to try to work something out for more control in their careers because it's ridiculous how fast some people are just like dropped from teams or tossed aside to other teams. The NWSL Players Association also launched their campaign for hashtag no more side hustles. Um, Honestly, seeing that most of the NWSL players are not earning livable wages is absolutely ridiculous. 75% of the NWSL Players Association members make less than $31,000 a year which is not enough to support you and a family. A lot of these players have kids. A lot of them live together so that they can save money. Um, Many of them have multiple other jobs to support themselves. And so I'm going to share a few stories. And there is um, a petition, I think, that you can sign or a link to get more information that you can sign on the NWCL Players Association's website. So be sure to check that out. But we're going to talk quickly about some of their stories and what they had to do in order to play professional soccer. So Gabby Seiler, who's 26, was drafted in 2018 to the Portland Thorns. She played at the Thorns till 2020 and now is with the Houston Dash. She said that she would wake up at 3.45 a.m. to go to work. She'd work there from 4 to 1 and then go straight to training and then do it all over again every day. So imagine the toll that you're working standing on your feet in a store and then you have to go train for, you know, four hours, and then you have games, and you also have to find jobs that are willing to work around your crazy schedule as an athlete. And so another one, Darian Jenkins, who was drafted in 2017, she has kind of bounced around the league a little bit, but she said that she was cleaning toilets, mopping floors, cleaning up after customers, and then after that she trained by herself. She would train with a boys team at night, which she could, and she would referee in between so that she could avoid 
afford gas money to get to training and to do all these things because she needed more money to keep playing professionally and live her dream. Um, Megan Oyster was drafted in 2015. Uh, she has also played on all different teams. And she said that every week while trying to prepare for a big game, she would have to focus her time on making extra money just to get by. And she even said it's an exhausting schedule at times, but it's truly the only way that they could live out their dream and keep working. Um, Estelle Johnson, who was drafted to the WPS in 2010, said that she worked at a mall her rookie season and did crazy amounts of individual coaching. Shayna Matthews, who was drafted in 2016, was a substitute teacher her rookie season and would train before and after school. Angela Salem worked camps and clinics and worked at a country club during her second year and now does more individual coaching. And she, as much as she loves coaching, it's a lot in addition to playing. Um, Jessica McDonald, who was drafted to the WPS in 2010, has played for a bunch of different teams, said that she worked at Amazon packaging boxes during 10 hours days. Um, she would had to train young girls after, train herself, all while taking care of her son. So that's a lot because not only is she taking care of herself, but she has her son to take care of. Um, there's so many more stories. Like Paige Nielsen said that during her first year in the NWSL, she had three side jobs while dealing with her mom passing away. And her annual salary that first year was $5,000. Emily Mengas, who has been with the Portland Thorns since 2014, said that all eight years that she's worked in the NWSL, she's had to work an additional two jobs during the season and as grateful as she is to have employees who understood and worked with her schedule she wants to make sure that other people don't have to do this and I can't blame them so make sure that you look into this keep up to date with NWSL Players Association sign what you can help them get this you know campaign going for hashtag no more side hustles because it's ridiculous that they can't have livable wages while doing what they would love to do. The last thing in the NWSL this week was Mark Skinner resigned as the head coach of the Orlando Pride, effective immediately. He is rumored to be heading over to Manchester United to be their new manager in place of Casey Stoney, who left a few months ago, and it will now be with San Diego. Um, Skinner has not had a great record with Orlando. In his tenure there since January 2019, he only won nine games, seven of which came in this season's start, so clearly something was not working with him, and I'm surprised he hasn't been fired sooner. Um, overall, his win percentage was a little over 20% for his two and a half years as a Pride coach. Led by Amanda Duffy, a thorough and extensive search for the Pride's next head coach is underway. Um, as far as everyone knows, the assistant coach Seb Hines and goalkeeper coach Lloyd Yaxley will remain on the Pride technical staff, and I think that Seb Hines is going to be the interim coach for the Pride, but I guess we'll find that out later tonight when the Orlando Pride plays. Tonight, the Orlando Pride plays the OL Reign on Twitch at 7 p.m., and the Houston Dash plays the Portland Thorns at 8.30, and I think that that one is on Paramount+, Plus. so be sure to tune in to those games, and then also tune in tomorrow. Gotham is playing the Chicago Red Stars, that is at 5 p.m. Eastern, and I'm pretty sure you can catch that one on Paramount+. Plus. And Louisville will face the Washington Spirit at 7.30 p.m. Eastern tomorrow night, so be sure to check out all those games and support the NWSL. <music> So Olympic soccer and softball kicked off Wednesday morning and those were the first official events of Tokyo 2021 and since then a lot has happened. 
I'm going to highlight the standouts and things that need some work in each group of the soccer and what to look forward to going into the last round of the group stage games right before the knockoffs happen. I said knockoffs. I meant knockouts. <laughs> um, I'm not really well versed in softball like at all. So all I can say is that the U.S. has been doing really well. They've won all their games so far. So good for them. And it's really awesome to see softball back as an Olympic sport. I have not had a chance to watch the Olympic opening ceremony yet, so that will be covered next week because I've been working and so I just haven't had a chance to click it on. A lot has been going on. But now we're going to talk about the different groups and what they have accomplished. So starting with Group E, after each team has played two games, the standings are Great Britain with two wins, Canada with one win and one tie, Japan and then Chile. And so we're going to talk about the strengths of Canada and a little bit about Great Britain. I haven't had a chance to watch all of these games just because of how early they play and my work schedule, but I have watched the Canada games because I got to support Kaylin Sheridan and Evelyn Viennes as a Gotham supporter, and those were, were replayed when I was able to watch them. So that's where I, most of my knowledge is, but I'm sure that Japan and Chile have been doing great as well. So in Canada's first game, their goalkeeper Stephanie LeBay suffered an injury to her ribs. Um, she came out to scoop a ball. It resulted in a collision and a penalty kick was given to Japan. Um, LeBay was down for a few minutes and I really thought that she was coming out. You could see Kaylin on the side warming up and part of me was really excited to see Kaylin play, but obviously was really worried about um, LeBay and she got back up. She played out the end of the second half. Um, saved a penalty, and then played a little bit into the next half, I'm pretty sure, before Kaylin subbed on. Um, You could tell that Stephanie LeBay was in a lot of pain. She was clutching her chest, crying, and obviously with the force of the collision that happened, makes sense. Um, So when she came out, it was her choice. It wasn't the coach's choice to take her out, but Sheridan got in, played really well. She did come off her line a bit too far that allowed a goal to happen, and so it'll be interesting to see how she does going into the next game, if she does end up playing, or if LeBay will be fit enough to play again. Um, But I really am excited for Kaylin Sheridan to get this time, especially when you look at how far she's come, because a few months ago she didn't even think she'd be able to make it to the Olympics, and just how she's recovered in her journey through recovery back to playing with Gotham and the hours and effort she's put in into training and recovery is really amazing to see and so for her to actually get to play in this world stage is super exciting. Another Canadian standout is Janine Becky who scored both goals in the Canada match today. Um, She's really starting to embrace more of a leadership role on the team because obviously Christine Sinclair is not going to be around forever Um, and Janine Becky is the perfect you know, successor to her. Uh, Becky doesn't have a good history with penalty kicks from what I've heard, and I've heard a lot of people say that she's not too fond of taking them, but she stepped up to take one in the 20th minute. Although she missed, she ended up scoring the two goals later, but I think that as um, a more veteran player to take those opportunities where you're going to do something that makes you more uncomfortable so that a younger player doesn't have to or to demonstrate to a younger player that you know, it's okay to take this opportunity and miss. I think it's a really good thing to look up to. And 
she's someone to keep an eye out for the rest of the tournament because obviously there's a lot of great things that she can do and I really hope that Canada makes it far because although I want the USA to win the whole thing just because I am American um, and I want Kristen and Crystal to get a gold medal, I would be really happy if Canada won gold too because they have such a good group of people and a really well-rounded team who has a lot of potential in the next upcoming cycles. For Great Britain, Ellen White, who I am personally not that fond of, um, plays a crucial role for the team. She scored today, which cemented their spot in the knockout rounds of the game, and she really does know how to like get into your head, and she is a good player, really strong for Great Britain, and so she'll be someone to keep an eye out for. Um, she's been having a good tournament so far, so Great Britain, if they make it far, um, she'll definitely be a big role in that. Now, Group F is where all these goals have been racking up. This group consists of the Netherlands, who came close to winning the 2019 Women's World Cup, but lost to the U.S. Women's National Team. Then Brazil, which has Marta, Dabinia, Formiga, so obviously they're a powerhouse. And then China, and then Zambia. So Zambia came into this group overlooked because of their lack of funding. Their team is really only able to play strictly based on donations because they don't have a federation that supports them. This is another instance of a team that is great and can do great things if they were given more support, which is something that really needs to be improved on in women's soccer and just women's sports in general because there's so many talented athletes out there who don't get the same opportunities awarded to them because they just don't have the funds and support in order to have that. But um, Zambia's captain, Barbara Banda, did not let that stop them. She scored six goals in two games, and she's become the first woman in Olympic football history to score two hat-tricks in one edition of the games. She is now tied with Christine Sinclair for the all-time top goal scorer in a single Olympics. And, I mean, she's only 21, I think, so obviously she's going to be around for a while, and she's proving that they're not a team to just, like, mess around with. She scored a hat-trick in their first game against the Netherlands, and although they lost 10-3, a strong case for them was made, and she scored another hat-trick against China earlier today. That game ended in a 4-4 draw, so she is proving that Zambia is here to stay, and they're going to make themselves known on a national scale. Also, like when teams don't have as much funding, they don't play as often. So the U.S. Women's National Team plays like 20 games a year because they're able to schedule these friendlies, and they're able to get these matchups and leave their teams to play in camps and stuff like that but for these teams that don't really have funding they meet up for national tournaments and qualifying games and that's about it so for them to make it to the olympics and you know do this great against some of these teams that have been around a lot longer and do have more backing is really awesome to see Obviously, the Netherlands are a super strong team, so players like Vivian Miedema are expected to rack up goals as the tournament goes on. She did get a bit of a knock earlier today in their game and chose to leave the field, so we'll see what happens with that because I'm pretty sure that the Netherlands already lost a key player due to injury in their first game, so we'll see how the rest of the tournament goes for them injury-wise, um, but I hope that you know they do well-ish obviously I don't want them to do too well especially if we have to play against them again but they are off to a super strong start with their first game 10 to 3 like that's a lot of goals so now for Brazil Formiga is the first Olympian to appear at every game that has had a women's soccer part of it which is an incredible stat to have and 
Like, she's going to be the only one who has that to her name. So that's absolutely incredible. Her first Olympic Games were in 1996, which were the Atlanta Games. And now here she is in 2021 playing in the Olympics. So I think that that's absolutely incredible and such a good, like, leader to look up to. And, like, her and Marta are honestly two of the most well-known names in women's soccer. And they're both still doing amazing things. Marta, we're going to talk about her now. She is honestly widely regarded as one of the greatest female footballers of all time, and I mean, she proves that each and every time she steps foot onto the field, she is fierce, and her lipstick always matches, and she is just such a powerhouse, and she became the first player to score in five straight Olympics after netting um, her country's win, 5-0 against China, so that's another incredible stat for Brazil, and you know, I really would like to see... Brazil make it far so that they could win a national tournament or like come on the podium or something like that because some of these players have been around for so long and haven't won these big tournaments and they really do deserve to have their moment of recognition. Next we are going to talk about Group G which is Sweden, the US, Australia, and New Zealand. So this group had a really rough start for the United States, who lost 3-0 against Sweden. The team looked nearly unrecognizable with the shape, pace, and effort they were playing. Definitely not the U.S. women's national team that we're used to seeing. Obviously, Sweden is an incredibly strong team. We almost lost to them in April, I think. I think that's when we played. So we only managed to tie that game because of a soft penalty kick that we were awarded. So obviously, we knew that this game was going to be hard. But honestly, it was really embarrassing to watch. Um, Something was not clicking for the U.S. And it really needed to be looked at deeply. When we played them in April, the U.S. almost lost with the same lineup. So I think that that was the first mistake that was made. We played the same exact lineup that we played, you know, a few months ago. So Sweden was probably looking at that lineup and looking how they played against us then. And so they knew the areas that were weak and they knew where to exploit to you know, sneak goals past, and why would Vlaco ever think that that lineup would work again if we almost lost to them, you know? And the weakest points were definitely the midfield. They let too many balls slip past, and our defense just was not tracking well. So you have this weak midfield who's letting balls pass, like Sam Mewis, who's normally super on top of things, getting involved, looked like a deer in headlights. She looked like she lost her footing, and then you have Rose Lavelle, And Tobin Heath, who were taking way too long to pass balls. And when they did, the balls got lost in the mix of things or they weren't accurate passes. And then you have the defense who is not as strong as they should be. And Abby Dahlkemper and Kelly O'Hara were not defending well. And they were really leaving these balls open for, like, anybody to grab. And it kind of left Alyssa Nair scrambling to collect balls. Um, You had Becky Sauerbrunn and Crystal Dunn, you know, backtracking and covering for her other for their teammates and crystal was up and down the field she was playing everywhere and she's one person she can't play every single position in one game and so some media were saying crystal dunn had a really tough 45 minutes but crystal dunn only had a really tough 45 minutes because she was giving it her all and nobody else was giving it anything It was honestly one of the poorest performances that the team has had in a long time, and it was Vlaco's first major loss as coach of this team, so it'll be a real testament to see how much longer he's around and what he does going into the rest of this tournament 
because we know that U.S. soccer is not fond of losing in big tournaments. But besides the U.S. sucking against Sweden, Sweden has been on fire, scoring three the other day and four today to secure a win against both the U.S. and Australia. Their place is pretty much cemented to head to the knockout rounds, and as they should, they really deserve it. They play tight, compact, and are quickly able to turn the ball around, which teams need to be prepared for. During the U.S. game, it was easy for them to find these small pockets to exploit, especially on free kicks, and Sweden is truly dominating this group so far. I had talked about last week that the U.S. really needed to be on top of Sweden when it came to free kicks and set pieces, and I mean, obviously they didn't listen to this podcast because they did not listen to that at all, Um, and you can't let these Swedish players get too close to the goal because they will find ways to convert it. When you get too close, it's just... It's over for you, basically, unless your defense is solid, and we were not. The U.S. did play much better today against New Zealand, winning 6-1. to one. The one goal came from New Zealand, which happened later in the game. Abby Dahlkemper was tracking and left a wide-open spot. She tripped, which obviously everybody makes mistakes, everybody trips, but she should have been on top of that ball before that even happened at all. Um, and so the goal was allowed to slip past, um... Tierna Davidson tried to cover, Alyssa Neri tried to come out and scoop it. It was just a big miscommunication, which seems to be a big issue for them these past few games. Dahlkemper has not really been having a good tournament so far. Last game, Becky covered for her a lot this time. Other people were covering for her. And so I think that we could see her sitting out the next game because you're only allowed to dress 18 players. Kelly O'Hara was not dressed today so that Casey Short should get could get some time. And Casey played really well, so I could see Abby out the next game. And we could see Casey in that starting lineup, maybe. Um, I also hope that Blacko knows that if he had brought Midge Purse, this would not have happened. Midge Purse would have been super solid in the front line or the back line. And so, Blacko, I hope she haunts your nightmares. As I said, Casey Short played today. Um, Christine Mewis was also not dressed, which allowed for Katarina Macario to dress. And they both made their Olympic debuts, which were great to see, especially since they had come into the tournament being alternates who were sure that they probably wouldn't get time to play at all. Um, Casey, who has been consistently used as a backup for the national team, is now getting her time to shine. And I'm so incredibly happy for her because... You could just, I mean, you watch Casey and she is national team caliber. She is solid for her club team. And whenever she plays for the national team, she is good. And not just like, oh, like, that's good. Like, no, she is so good. And so to see her playing made me so happy. And I could definitely see her getting minutes in the next game. And I really hope she does. I love the way her and Tierna link up. And so I'm really hopeful that they could play together. Uh, now we're going to talk about Kristen Press because everybody loves Kristen Press. And if you don't like Kristen Press, then um, please unfollow me. We are no longer friends because Kristen Press is a powerhouse as always. She didn't start today, but she did sub on and within 10 minutes scored a goal. She then passed a perfect cross to the foot of Alex Morgan. I think that she was trying to pass it to Tobin Heath, but Tobin was just a step behind and it fell right to Alex. Alex topped it in, so she assisted the goal. And then in the third minute of stoppage time, she curled the ball in and it was hit by a New Zealand player. So it accounted as an own goal, but she got the assist technically. So, I mean, good for her. In the last 39 U.S. Women's National Team games, Kristen has contributed to 40 goals whether she scored or assisted them, and that's an incredible stat. And I am already beginning the campaign for Kristen Press, U.S. Women's National Team Player of the Year. So 
I hope everybody joins me on this campaign because it is very important that she wins this. This game was also the game of offside apparently. Now if I'm being completely honest, this rule still kind of confuses me. Like I really couldn't tell you what it means except that like you're ahead of the last defender who had the ball or something like that. Um, but there were four goals that the U.S. scored that were disallowed due to offside. And another issue that I have is that the refs raised the offside flag so late. And I'm like, how can you tell that it's offside if you're raising the flag once the ball's in the goal? But I guess that that might be because they could realize they're off and get back on. But it's really confusing to me. But Tobin Heath got a beautiful ball. It was flagged um, as offside. I think that someone mentioned that one of the other players was off, not Tobin, but it was still considered off. Um, Lindsay Horan, who celebrated her 100th cap today, had a goal that was called off, um, but you could tell she really wanted a goal on her 100th cap, and she got a header later in the game, assisted by Julie Ertz. Um, Carly Lloyd was also off on two occasions that led to disallowed goals. The first one, I think it was herself that she tried to score and was off, and then the next one, she passed the ball to Megan Rapino. Megan Rapino scored, but Carly was off, so it didn't count. Uh, Tiernan Davidson played really well today, and I was really glad that she got a full 90 in the back line because I think it's crucial to give her this time, knowing that players like Becky Sauerbrunner aren't going to be around forever, and Abby Dahlkemper hasn't been playing great. We need someone who is a good backup for those positions, and Tierna is proving her case for that. Um, Julie Ertz also played a full 90, which kind of shocked me, but she played well, and she got involved in more tackles than I thought she would, and she did assist two goals, so she's clearly trying to prove that she deserves to be there. There are some changes I would make for the next game. I think that the Tobin, Kristen, Alex lineup worked really well together, but Tobin, as much as I adore her, she kind of went ghost mode a little bit in the second half, and wasn't super on top of the ball so I need to see her get more involved or else we need to see someone else up there. I would love to see Lynn Williams play and I think that that was probably the plan was to get all the alternates listed on a game day roster because Jane Campbell was listed today instead of Adriana French but um, I think that Lynn suffered a hamstring injury nothing crazy but but she was not able to play today so hopefully we will see her against Australia on Tuesday but if not Hopefully she is named to a roster during one of the knockout matches if we make it that far because she deserves her gold medal just like everybody else does. So the U.S. is only beating Australia right now because of gold differential. I think that we're plus two and Australia is minus one. So we really need to um, beat Australia. I mean, we could tie with them and still potentially to head to the knockout games, but I just need a win to secure that and be comfortable in that. And then from the third place teams, I think that two of them are picked to go to the knockout games. So it'll be interesting to see how that is done. I think it's like based on goal differential and how many games you've won. So even if we do come in second and we go, Australia still has a chance to come to the knockout games, which would be great for them. But obviously my priority is the U.S. making it and not Australia. So. As for New Zealand, Allie Riley is always someone to watch out for. She's New Zealand's captain. She's solid for the team. She's constantly encouraging the team. And although they haven't found a win in the tournament so far, they have a really strong team who can do great things together. 
but it's a matter of them having time together. A big downfall for them is that they haven't played together in 16 months due to COVID and travel and stuff like that. And that's something that the U.S. has an advantage because we play together so often. I mentioned this earlier, but these teams don't get to play together as much. And so, yeah, the U.S. is going to remain one of the best teams in the world, if you want to call it that. But it's really just because they have funding and accessibility that other teams don't. But player-wise, Hannah Wilkinson, who had a standout career at the University of Tennessee, she is now playing in Europe, is someone to look out for because she created most of the chances in the game against the U.S. today. And so she was really able to find these small pockets of space and get in there. And so against Sweden, I think that Sweden needs to watch out for her, but she really needs to be on top of the ball to try to convert against Sweden because if New Zealand could beat Sweden, that would be great. As for Australia, you have their captain, Sam Kerr, who is always someone to be on the lookout for. The U.S. really needs to be watching her in film, considering they play Australia next. They need to be prepared for the speed of some of these Australian players, and a lot of them have played together or against each other in the NWSL, so I feel like it really exploits some spots more because they know the players that are weaker, and they know the players that you're going to want to get in these tricky positions and so it'll be interesting to see how that game goes I'm really pulling for a U.S. win or a tie but it'll be it'll be a game to say the least something that has really high stakes both of these teams are going to need this win to secure their knockout spot so it'll be intense the tournament has barely started and it's already shaping up to be great with only six games played 59 goals have been scored and there's already a bunch more to go so it'll be interesting to see how these goals are racked up and what is going to happen with the rest of this tournament because honestly anything can happen yeah Netherlands is dominating right now but when they get to the knockout stages they can make a silly mistake and they could very easily go out the first round so it'll be great to see how the rest of the tournament shapes up and I'm really looking forward to it. In other Olympic news gymnastics begins later tonight so you know that means Simone Biles is going to be dominating But I feel like people often forget that, you know, the team is not just Simone Biles. There are other people on the team, like Suni Lee, who is someone to definitely look out for. She is going to be incredible on bars, definitely a gold contender there. Um, Grace McCallum and Jordan Childs will be great to hopefully bring a team gold to USA. I don't really know how they will do on individual placements because, I mean, you could really see Simone bringing in a bunch of individual golds. But they're going to be huge contributors to that team goal that the U.S. is going after. On the individual scale, both Michaela Skinner and Jade Carey specialize in the same events, which means that it's likely that only one of them will qualify for each. Um, I'm hoping that Jade will qualify for vault because she worked her ass off. Excuse my language, but she worked really hard at Worlds and Olympic trials and stuff to secure her spot. Um, whereas Michaela Skinner was just um, picked by Tom Forrester, who... Definitely needs to rethink some of his choices um, because why would you bring two people who specialize in the same event when you have someone like Riley McCusker who specializes in bars and could get an individual position there? But the team is already picked. They're already there. They're already training. We'll see what happens. It's for sure going to be really exciting to watch, especially because these other countries are just as talented as the U.S., And so you can catch it all on Paramount Plus, I'm pretty sure. And Lori Hernandez is going to be one of the commentators, which is super exciting for her. So I'm looking forward to watching all the gymnastics tomorrow because I am not staying up till 2 a.m. to watch it. (music) 
there's really no new college stuff going on. Um, I did win an Amazon gift card through a poll thing at my school, so that was exciting. Um, my school is requiring students to be vaccinated, which I'm really excited about because I want to have a normal freshman year of college. Move-in is officially in less than a month, but besides that, that's really all that's going on. Um, so... Nothing in the college front this week. So sorry. I know that that's my mom's favorite section. So sorry, mom. Maybe I'll have some more next week. Next week's episode will be all about the Olympics. So um, sorry again, mom. Maybe two weeks. Like I said in the intro, I have not watched the opening ceremony. So next week's episode will be all things Olympics, the opening ceremony, how ugly the USA polo outfits are for the opening ceremony, and I promise that I'm going to stick to just being about the Olympics unless something really crazy happens in the NWSL. So let's hope that they take a break from crazy for a bit. I will hopefully have some more college stuff to talk about in two weeks when I have my first guest. I will not be saying who that first guest is, but she is a senior in college. She's one of my favorite people ever, and I'm really excited that she wants to be on this. So we're going to be talking about what it's like to be in college, what to expect for move-in as a freshman, any advice she has as a senior to me. She's wrapping up her education. I'm just starting my college career. So um, that'll be a great episode to be on the lookout for. And then after that, I will probably have my roommate, Clara, as my second guest. And I'm really looking forward to having her on. We're going to be talking about what move-in is like and what living with a random stranger is like. Even though I don't really consider her a stranger anymore since we have facetimed and talked a lot but you get the point that's really what to expect from the next couple episodes i hope that you guys will tune in i'm really excited about it so thanks for tuning into this episode of mickey mics up remember to follow and let me know what you think on instagram which is mickey.alfano or twitter which is mickey underscore alfano real creative i know but that's all for this week's episode so have a great week y'all